Everything F1, driven by fans, for the fans. We're talking about the American Grand Prix at the Circuit of the Americas and what a race it was. We're going to talk all about that in our race review with our special guest, Perry McCarthy. This is going to be a great podcast, so stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast with me, James Tiller. And alongside me from the Everything F1 team today, we do have Coops. How are you doing, Coops? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. Thanks for asking. Uh, also from our team, we've got Tom. Hey, Tom, how are you? I'm splendid for us. Thank you. Alongside us today, we have a special guest. Uh, you've actually heard him before because he was here a couple of weeks ago to speak to us. Uh, it's the original Stig, Perry McCarthy. Hi, Perry. Good to see you. So today we're here to talk about the Circuit of the Americas Grand Prix and what a race it was. So exciting, thrilling to watch. Uh, it was like a blockbuster thriller. Uh, it was a chase scene. It was it's like something out of Jaws. Uh, I don't know. Uh, what do you? What was your three-line review, Coops, of the uh, the Circuit of the Americas Grand Prix? Yeah, uh, and the epitome of the 2021 season. Exhilarating, exciting, and God. Damn, nerve-wracking. Okay. Tom, I'm going to ask you the same question. Can you give me a three-line review, please? Verstappen has hand on championship. Oh, so nearly for Lewis. Brundle doesn't back down. (laughs) Before we go headfirst into our full race review, we are Everything F1. We are on the website www.everythingf1.com. You can also find us on all our social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all of the handle at JoinEF1. You're also listening to us on this podcast today. And that means you can hit the subscribe button on your podcast streaming service and get all of our latest podcasts right in your ears as they drop. And if you want to give us a five-star review, we would be very appreciative. And we'll give you a name call on one of our next podcasts. So without further ado, here we go for our race review. So, Perry, what did you think of the race? I thought it was intriguing, actually. I really did. Um, it, was, it was pretty exciting, especially like the uh, the last stint. And um, funny enough, I've been thinking about something, actually, as, as that Formula One might be missing a trick on, but I'll, I'll come back to that. But, yeah, it was... Uh, we're just seeing this fantastic strategic game at the front uh, with two immense talents. And I guess that we all thought that there was a maybe slight inevitability about Lewis closing in and taking him because I'd actually calculated on TV, they were saying he's probably going to have three laps at the end to have a go at at, uh, Max. This is Lewis closing to take the lead. I actually had kind of worked it out maybe about five or six, looking at the previous closing speed that Lewis had. But um, but what we didn't completely realise at that time was exactly how bright Max was being on that last set of tyres. And, and suddenly you saw the close rate slow down. Um, so that, with Max being incredibly sensitive and clever on those tyres, but also the wash, the aero wash, uh, which, of course, 
you know, a, a racing car, just really quickly, I'm probably rambling here, but a race car is about the management of air, okay? The management of air around it, management of air over it, management of air through it for curling, and management of air critically under air. And these things are genius when they're on their own because they've got clean air. But even from a distance, as we've seen many times this year, the turbulent wash from a car, even a few seconds down the road, disturbs the aerodynamics, which affects the grip, which means you can't go quite as quick, which means you can't close as quick. I think that's one of the factors that we saw where Lewis failed to close as quickly as we expected. But plus Max's brilliance on uh, making those tyres work. Sorry, do you mind if I just jump in with a question on the back of that? Pedal? Sure. Um, what you're saying about, obviously, the management of there and when the cars are by themselves... Um, so they've got effectively like, like a best case scenario. When we look at the likes of Bottas, who is perhaps, well, not even perhaps, who has struggled to get through the field this year, do you think that's because it seemed like Mercedes has almost designed a car with the expectation that it's not going to be in the midfield and that is that it's designed with the sort of thought of sitting at the front of the grid because they're expecting it to be there? Do, do you think there's an element of that in, in the car design? I, You know, for me personally, I would imagine that all the Formula One teams are actually trying to produce something that goes as fast as possible. You know, then there's a question of how the aerodynamic weight actually affects them. But we have seen previously that, you know, there's been a feeling that the Mercedes don't actually perform quite as well as their optimum behind the other cars, and maybe they're more suboptimum than other cars in that kind of way. So maybe those kind of situations affect the Mercs a bit more. But I don't completely know what I'm talking about here. But that's what would seem to be the situation. Mm. Nice. But but sorry, Tom, is that I don't really think that designers, with all their resources and the budgets that are available, et cetera, are designing something to be in midfield and then to countenance an error effect from something ahead of them. That's that's too complicated, to be quite <laughs> frank. Um you know, there, there are so many different issues on how many different cars are around. Uh, also, at circuit-specific as well, you'll find a different uh, orientation of air uh, around a street circuit as well. You know, I certainly found that in the States a few times because concrete, concrete walls, street circuit, etc. It contains the air differently as well. Right. So it's, a, right. it's just a, an, an amalgamation of all the aeroflow um, that's, ca- that's causing the issues for... The, the Mercedes following then. Um, it's not necessarily because it's poorly designed. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've seen it all before. What, one of, the, one of the, the big factors is, is that, you know, if you're with an aero, okay, I hope I'm not sidetracking the conversation. No, yet, carry too. on. No, but, it's, it's but, but I'm stating the obvious, but the, the aero begins at the front of the car. Mm. So the front wing development, you know, to, as opposed to the 500,000 years ago I was racing, okay, the the dream on development here on the turning veins and everything else, how that front wing deflects the air around and over the tyres and along the bodywork, and especially, of course, how it it orientates the air underneath the car and flows it. The extremes to that design are absolutely, it's, it's, you know, stating the obvious, world class, but it's it's a work of art, exactly what that front wing is doing. Personally, I'd like to see the front wings come off, bin them, (laughs) get rid of the front wings. Because the problem is, is that with the car, as soon as you get close to an awful lot of the time, the car in front is taking the air away. Mm. So that dramatically affects all the beauty of this design of the car following it. 
Do we give a monkeys as spectators? Not really. All I want to see is uh, yeah, a whole bunch of cars running real close and beating each other up, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I could personally live with a four-second slower lap time as long as we're getting real close racing, etc. We did have an absolutely fantastic race. I thought it was a, a brilliant cat and mouse kind of Tom and Jerry style um, race where Lewis Hamilton was reeling in uh, Max Verstappen. Obviously, after that initial corner where where Lewis just had the absolute best start on the on, on the out of the two um but obviously um we'll go back to the kind of pit strategy uh, max verstappen got back in front but then it was all about the chase kind of either jaws uh, kind of chasing after his prey um what was your thoughts on that were you on the edge of your seat the whole time perry yeah i was actually i really was you know the, the thing is if if lewis hadn't got a real good start mm. then i think that you know max would have just pounced off into the distance and and i think that um, you may have seen Red Bull run a bit longer on those tyres uh, if if Max had got that start. But Red Bull, Red Bull kind of knew they had the speed. But I think as Christian's been saying that they decided track track position was absolute key. And you know, I kind of thought maybe they're coming a tiny bit early to be quite honest. But um, but you know, these people that they've got you know, five dustbin loads of data every second that they can uh, draw from if they make the right decisions. Mm. But, you know, often we see that they don't. And sometimes it is a little bit of a journey into the unknown. It was a nail-biting time for Red Bull. They didn't think they had it completely covered by no stretch of the imagination. But it was, um, yeah, it was just a plain good race. Clearly, of course, we weren't talking all the time wheel to wheel. But that, that first stint for Merck was critically important to get away because otherwise Red Bull would have completely had it all mm. their own way. There wouldn't have been any strategy games, overcut, undercut, anything. Red Bull would have just gone and that's it. So that that was great. But you could see that Red Bull could run. Max was running you know, pretty much around a second, inside a second sometimes, just over a second other times. It didn't really seem to have a problem in the wake of the Merck. So they really had. Max was driving brilliantly but they had the pace. They could sit there like that mm -hmm. and not lose too much ground. And that was important. And perhaps maybe that is the difference between the two cars there. You know, the, the Red Bull was maybe, maybe it does suffer behind another car, but it was working so well. They got it working so well around there that maybe it wasn't such an issue. This was an important race in the championship, wasn't it? Because obviously we, we, we had Max Verstappen coming into the weekend six points ahead of the, uh, the six points ahead of the Mercedes uh, of Lewis Hamilton. Um, it was important for Lewis to, to get this one, I think, uh, to try and get this one anyway, um, because now we're going to tracks. And I know previously on the last podcast that you came on, we, you, you were talking about maybe cars we shouldn't suggest that they do suit certain tracks because that's been kind of flipped on his head but as history would kind of write the red bull is stronger at the next two races um so they've gone in with a big advantage uh after this weekend after defeating uh lewis hamilton i think that mercedes and red bull and max and lewis have been under no illusions that this is going to be incredibly tight and this is why even you know trying to do anything they can to get that faster slap mm. is often is often incredibly important. You know, it's, it's been it's been a, a season of some ups and downs. Obviously, we've had some crashes, we've had some non-finishes. So there's been some areas where 
Lewis has had an advantage where Max has had an advantage, but but Red Bull have got a, a quite, quite acute advantage now. Now it's not like see you later, championships over. Yeah, mm. still rests on a bit of a knife edge, but you know I, I think they're going to be a little bit difficult to stop. To be honest, it's definitely well. I've I've put a post up on our page about it's Max's championship now to lose. I think, and that twelve points. It, it as you say, it's not it's not a huge deficit uh, for, for the Mercedes but it is it's it's a significant amount of points to kind of you know make make it Max's championship to lose yeah you know I kind of I, I know what you're saying and I know how you meant it I, I would probably take it away from it's Max's championship to lose it's uh, just as much Red Bull's championship as well mm. you know there's a there's a whole bunch of factors going on here I mean we saw in the closing stages even at the race over the weekend that when Max was closing on, you know, Mick Schumacher, who was running at the back, yeah. you know, that's just, you know, that there was a real heartbeat going on. It's like, you know, was was Mick inadvertently gonna hold Max up? Would that affect the dynamic on, you know, the last couple of laps with Lewis closing in? Any of these things are potentially repeatable. You know, there are mm. mistakes that are possible all the way down, even including a pit stop, a car failure, engine failure, any of these things. But talking about unexpected failures is that there's probably another um, difficulty that Merck are probably going to have to realise at some point is that I, I believe most people are expecting that Lewis is going to have to take an engine change at one point. And when he does, of course, then he's going to get a grid pen penalty. Mm -hmm. There's loads of things. So I, I think that, as I was saying before, for me personally, you know, I'm, they're in the lead, so you know Red Bull have got an advantage. But I do think that they've they've done such a great job all year. They've certainly earned that advantage. Yeah. Um, but you know, you start looking at the tracks that are coming up, then yeah, okay. I know I said last time throw away the rule book on who's done what in the past, but Mexico, I do kind of think is Red Bull territory, even. Disregarding everything I said last time, <laughs> I actually do think it's Red Bull territory. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, we completely agree. Coops, what do you think about what uh, Perry's just said about Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen? Yeah, I mean, he's pretty much spot on. Uh, it's it was just such. It, it's not a race that if you're not if you weren't like a purist, I could see why they would be like it wasn't the most exciting race in the world because there wasn't a lot of kind of squabbling. I think we had one kind of a couple of bumps, but nothing major. But for people that kind of knew what was coming, we, you, you, we, I mean, mm -hmm. I knew almost straight away once the Mercedes are camped down after the, not Mercedes, sorry, after the McLarens and Ferraris didn't take each other off. I was like, oh, okay, I can relax now. Uh, we kind of thought, hey, this is a two-stop race. This is, this is going to be good. This is all building up to something. What were your first thoughts when you saw Lewis Hamilton overtake Max off the start? Maybe last year I'd have thought, of, oh, well, fine. I'll just put it on in the background and keep an eye on it, you know. But this season, uh, it's not been quite as... It's not a definitive that's the end of the, the race when he gets into first because we all knew it was a two-stop race. It was unseasonably hot. The Mercedes don't like unseasonably hot weather. So... You know, for for this season, it's I'm like I'm I'm a lot less bothered when it becomes Lewis Hamilton in front. Different if it was Lewis Hamilton and Bottas in second, because he would lap the field in two laps by the time Bottas holds everybody up. Uh, but no, I wasn't mm. overly bothered. You know, I was. I think 
Uh, Verstappen was glad that there was quite a lot, it was quite wide, because he did try and push Hamilton to the side quite aggressively. Uh, but he kind of knew exactly where to kind of rein it in and think, right, I've got this for later. Tom, what did you think about the race at the front? Um, I thought it was a good battle in terms of strategy and for for the sort of purist fan or perhaps the more sort of geeky fan such as myself, it was one where you were sitting there thinking, um, is Hamilton going to catch on the tyres? You know, is is he going to get caught in traffic? Is is he is he going to be able to hold his tyres? Is Max or has Max kept enough in his tyres for for the race? Um, I do get that. Perhaps a more sort of casual fan on the outside might have watched the race and gone, oh well, that's quite boring. You know, they didn't race each other on track apart from turn one of of lap one, when Hamilton just had, I think, the best launch I've seen of certainly him, if not anybody this season. Mm. Um, that inside line of Kota reminds me of the inside line of Sochi, yeah. where it seems it seems almost like starting P2 will be better than starting on pole. Mm. But that run Hamilton had up to turn two, uh, turn one, sorry. As soon as he launched, I was like, he's got that. I knew Max was going to try and push him as far left as he could. Mm-hmm. But this is what I think about Max sort of like post-2018. He now leaves like enough room and they didn't come together and they got through cleanly. Yes, Max went off a bit on, onto, the, onto the runoff, um, but it was clean between them at the start of the race. Uh and I think from there, Max knew that it was going to be a race of strategy. Red Bull pulled a very, very aggressive strategy, forced Mercedes' hand. And, that, and I think also when Red Bull pitted Perez, that forced Mercedes to pit Hamilton because otherwise they'd have been completely stuck, I think. Mm. So I was concerned that Red Bull had been a bit too optimistic on their strategy, but they trusted Verstappen. We know how good he is at managing tyres, managing pace, all the rest of it. And it was just a, it, it was, like I said in our chat, it was the drive of a champion. It was. It's it certainly, uh, as as we've alluded to on our Facebook page, um, it's now Max's championship to lose. Uh, well, I think so anyway. Uh, let's move on to some of the other uh, competitors in the race because it was it was quite an interesting race for quite a few um, of the teams and uh, and, the, and the drivers. And let's talk about that battle, the battle between Ferrari and McLaren. Um, that was great to see again. We had some some great battling on the on the track itself. Yeah, I mean, the, the, again, you know, we we clearly, of course, we're so engrossed with the championship itself. You know, who's going to win, Merck or Red Bull, Lewis or Max, etc. But there are other fights going out there, and those fights are worth points, and those points are worth millions, and millions of dollars. So, so they, you know, mm. apart from sheer personal pride, you know, if 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 you if you're in eighth place and we're on the closing uh, to a race, then I'm in ninth. I want eighth. You know, I can't. That's my of race. Course. You know. So, and yeah. you've, you've got to show what you're capable of all the time because you know your your reputation building all the time to just say whatever the circumstances I'm in, I'm showing you I can do the absolute best. The guy in front of me or the guy behind me is trying to do exactly the same thing. And so there was a yeah a nice little battle. The one I believe you may be alluding to was between um, uh, Carlos Sainz and uh, Daniel Ricciardo. You know, uh-huh. I mean that that was great. You know, it was good hard racing. That's so that that's the mentality all the way down. I mean, you heard radio calls earlier. With I think it's Fernando when uh, Kimi took him around the outside, put a couple of wheels off, 
you know, just over the, over a bit. And then there's radio complaining to Michael Massey saying he he went off, he overtook me around the app. So everybody's competitive. They're competitive down to that last corner. Anything that the others do that they can be pulled up on. So the focus isn't for them on the championship, but it is for them on where they're going to finish within the championship because it's it's about money as well. Yeah, and there was a, an interesting call for the uh, Ferrari as well, where uh, where Carlos just said no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not letting him pass because I let Daniel Club Ricardo through uh, because he passed off the track. If if you remember early on in that battle, um, yeah, well, wasn't it actually uh, Lando? Um, yeah, so it, it, they they want the Ferrari wanted to, to let Lando through because they thought he'd get a penalty, and then uh, Carlos Sainz was like, "No, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I let I let Daniel Ricciardo through, uh, or I was kind of easy easy with the battle at that point because I thought I was off track, so I let one through um, because of that. So it happened quite a bit on that corner, I think, that uh, during yeah, the race. Yeah, I mean that's a it's a bit of a kind of a contentious one actually. I mean, I side with Carlos on it to be quite frank. But but what happened was I think that that um, Lando got displaced from it. Daniel took advantage of it to then get in front of Lando, and then of course Carlos has let uh, Daniel by. You know, so yeah. it was kind of like the wrong one. So it benefited um, Daniel pretty well there. So but yeah, it's yeah. Now I'm on I'm on the Carlos uh, Carlos side there. Is that he's let one through? Like you know, forget the fact it was the wrong one. It's like you know you can, <laughs> you can only back off so much on this stuff. Of course you can. Uh, well, Daniel Ricciardo has has really settled into the McLaren uh, for the second part of the season. We were all kind of just worried about him for the first part. Um, but actually, Coops, uh, speaking last year before before the season, or just before the season starts, said he thinks for the first half of the year he's going to struggle. And for the second half of the year, he'll be up there. And so I want to applaud Coops because he made an absolutely stunking prediction. Uh, <laughs> but well, what have you got to say about um, Danny Ricciardo? He's just... He's there now, isn't he? I think. I think that um, you know, for the first few races, that you could think, okay, Daniel, you're settling in, etc. But but it kept going on, and Daniel's qualifying was way off. I mean, not just mm. off, way off. And you're kind of thinking, hmm, okay, this is interesting. I mean, I I hold, I've always held Daniel in terribly high regard, as I'm sure everybody does. But yeah, I do feel that uh, Norris is, you know, uh, quite a star, to be quite frank. I really do. And so you kind of start thinking, wow, is Norris even more of a star than you kind of thought he was? Or is Daniel really just not getting to grips with this? But I think, as you've all said, he seems to be settling in a bit. His confidence is now coming back through. You know, racing drivers are... Yeah, strange creatures. You only need a few things go wrong, and your confidence does start mm. getting eaten away. You know, you need a yeah. you need an arm around the shoulder. You need people to believe in you. And I think that the man management seems to have been pretty good at Mercedes with regard to Daniel. Although I do know that there were there was a little bit of gossip in the background, to be quite frank, <laughs> because it did go on a little bit too long. It went on a little bit longer than everybody expected, thinking. Frankie, Daniel, like, you know, it's like, you know, are you in? You know? Um, yeah. But, we're, you know, we're talking about fantastic racing drivers here, but he he wasn't performing at his best. But it's really great mm. to see that he has, somehow it's all started coming together. Um, but I guarantee you one thing. It doesn't matter what you say or what I say or what anybody else says, is that the person this would, would have been hurting 
You know, you you look at Grand Prix stars and think, oh, got all the confidence in the world. They're earning absolute massive amounts of money. They're incredibly famous. They can do whatever they want. It's about performance. It's absolutely about, you know, it's about, you've heard of Andy Wallace, yeah? Yeah, well, Andy's a great friend of mine. And he said to my wife, Karen, one time, we were sitting down at dinner, and he just said, "Um, that's who you are, the stopwatch. That is who you are, that time. And I thought, especially for Andy, I thought he articulated it quite well, you know, Um, (laughs) because that is, you a racing driver is about speed, it's about time, it's about performance. And it doesn't matter what anybody says, your worst enemy in this game is your teammate. Mm. Because he's perceived yeah. at the same tires, engine, equipment, backup, support, etc. And if he's dusting you every week, you look like a mug. And that's not what we're in this for. So Daniel would have felt this really, really, really badly. Way more than anybody else, I guarantee you. So he would have had to have mm. sorted that out inside his own heart and mind to get back into play. Coops, do you want to speak about uh, McLaren and Ferrari? Well, what a race. Uh, actually, to be honest, there's only the two drivers that those four you really want to talk about, and that's Leclerc and Ricardo. Uh, Norris pretty much got owned by Ricardo this weekend, uh, and Leclerc. It was anonymously brilliant from Leclerc because he was so far ahead of everybody behind him, he's never going to get in front or close to the front three, which was ended up being Perez or uh, Hamilton for Stafford. Uh, it was one of the perfect races for Ferrari uh, for him. He, he done exactly what he needed to do. He got exactly what he needed to be, uh, and because he was in that kind of no man's land, which ironically is where Verstappen used to be up until this season, uh, he didn't seem. Uh, he just quietly, like, oh, it was just it was it was anonymous because it was so brilliant. Uh, it wasn't a f- drive from the back. He done exactly what he needed to do. He got the car exactly when he needed to be. They had a great fight with the other uh, McLarens along with Sainz and got on with it. Uh, Ricardo, again, he was the same. He got fifth, uh, I think fifth and eighth for them. For the McLarens, I should say, is probably the best that they could have got. Norris was a bit hard on himself at the end of the race, saying that he'd made a few big mistakes. Uh, but I think I don't think he was ever going to beat Ricardo. Ricardo was just in the sweet spot and plus... Ricardo loves Texas, as you could tell. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that circuit makes him come alive. I think. I think does. that's that's what it was. Uh, you know, and, and he got he got to uh, to drive Earnhardt's car too. So that was kind of he was probably still buzzing from that as well. Yeah, it's just, it was just it was a great race. The first lap, uh, the other half was standing next to me watching the start, and she even even she was like, "Oh, crikey! Oh, oh, this is exciting!" And it was just watching the Ferraris and the McLarens dicing with each other to try and get to where they needed to be, and it was just, "Oh, don't hit!" And then at one point, it was like Norris backed off because if he didn't back off, all four of them were going to end up off the track. It was just, it was brilliant. Uh, and, you know, long may the rest of the season continue with these four guys. Uh, but, yeah, it was brilliant. Ricardo and Leclerc, for me, were the, were the kind of top dogs in that. Well, let's move on to Pierre Gasly uh, and, oh, well, Alpha Tauri. Uh, Pierre Gasly had a bit of a nightmare, obviously had the, the, the issues um, with the car. Uh, but Yuki Tsunoda actually performed quite well this weekend he was he was defending brilliantly uh, and really fighting for that those you know meager points on the grid what can you say about the AlphaTauri team 
I think Alpha Chauri have been um, a real joy to watch many times this year because they are one of the smaller teams. Um, but they've done some fantastic things. You know, they've, they've been well up front. I think they've outperformed, um, you know, many of the more established or better funded teams. I think it's great. I think yeah. that Pierre is a you know real star. Uh, and, you know, something without sidetracking the conversation, this thing I was talking about, about Daniel uh, at, yeah. at McLaren, that's exactly what Pierre went through at Red Bull. You know, there was a bit of self-doubt. Then the tongues were wagging behind his back. Then is Pierre good enough, etc. And finally, got launched back into the, you know, the second Red Bull team, which is AlphaTauri, you know. And that doesn't uh-huh. do anybody's confidence too many favours. But without Max around, he's built himself back up. He's come back into play. Yuki, no, I'm sorry for me. Jury's still out. You know, you know he's got a load of talent. He's been making... It's really good for Yuki that it's got signed for next year. It really is, you yeah. know, um, because mm. Red Bull are fairly are known to be quite ruthless. So Yuki's got another chance to settle down, keep taking some of the big mistakes out that he's made, see fantastic speed from him an awful lot of the time. But let's face the facts of life is that Pierre normally dusts him in qualifying and in the race. Okay, Mm. so we're seeing a couple of performances that we should be expecting. So I'm not getting the trombone out just yet on his behalf. This is kind of like, you know, mate, you should be doing this to have that drive full stop. Yeah. You know, so Mm. as I say, I'm not doing cartwheels about his performance yet. It's expected that that's the thing. So we'll see how he goes. That's the key. I read somebody said on one of the platforms that, um, Red Bull are considering uh, Sonoda to come in to replace Perez. That's what a load of rubbish. That's, no that's way. Abs- <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. As soon as I saw it, I just think I have no idea who drew that one up. So it's that, that that's not even going to happen. You know, Perez, brilliant performance considering he was under the weather and didn't have a drinks bottle. And believe me, in those things, if you don't have a drinks bottle and are ill, you know, he was, he was going through it a bit there. So a super resilient result for Sergio, and it's exactly what Red Bull need to have another, you know, I've always been a fan of Alex Albon, actually, but again, it didn't work for Alex when he was at Red Bull. Hopefully Alex next year will have a whole new uh, lease of life, the same way Pierre has done with AlphaTauri. I really hope uh, Alex Albon has a great time with Williams next year because I, 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 the guy is such a talent. He really is. We'll go to you, Tom. You, what, what, what are your thoughts on the AlphaTauri team? I do think Sonoda is slowly getting used to Formula One. Following on from what Perry said a moment ago, I'm still not convinced that Sonoda should have a place in F1. Um, Perry mentions that the Red Bull program is notoriously ruthless for uh, booting out drivers. You know, we really need to look at Kvyat. You know, three times Gasly out of Red Bull, uh, Albon out out of Red Bull last year. If Sunoda was to be pushed up, I think that would be a mistake. He is getting better, but he has been comprehensively beaten by Gasly this year. Yes, I know Sunoda's a rookie, but he didn't exactly set the world alight in F2 before he came up. And I do think there was perhaps quite a lot of influence from Honda in the reason for him coming up. Gasly, now his car suffered damage from going over one of the curbs, and the curbs have been spoken about a few times over the course of this weekend, because I did notice some of the sort of sausage curbs were removed. Um, we only need to look at the W Series. You know, friend of the show, Abby Eaton, suffered quite a bad back injury from going over the curbs. 
and we saw and we saw how the curves basically ruined Gassi's rear suspension. So I don't think we saw the best out of him this weekend. Sonoda did hold up some decent defence, just going back to the driver a sec. Um, but I don't. I think AlphaTauri would have wanted to come out of this weekend with a bit more. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. But as I say, I, I, I think Tsunoda at least shows promise. He showed over the last couple of races that he's quite a difficult person to overtake. Um, and it's just a shame that Gasly couldn't be uh, on the, uh, couldn't be in the rest of the race because I think you know he could have done you know a, a great job for that team. Let's talk about Perez because we we did miss him in the earlier uh, conversation actually. Without him, I, I don't think the, the the strategy with Max Verstappen uh, would necessarily have worked so well. Um, it was because Perez had performed so well all over the all all through the weekend that that they were able to do be as aggressive with the strategy as they could be, the Red Bull team. I'm not so sure about that. I think that they, I kind of think for me personally, that they pitted Max when they felt like pitting Max, you know? But mm. but how they used Sergio was actually maybe to put pressure on Lewis coming in a little bit earlier. Uh, and I think that that was the pressure because they, you know, these guys, they're, they're, they're pretty smart. They know what's coming, or most of the time they know what was coming. They kind mm. of all had an idea it was going to be about the last set of tyres and the last part of the race on who was going to do anything. So they would have preferred that Lewis, Lewis's last set didn't have – well, they would have preferred that Lewis's last set had as many laps on them yeah. as possible. Yeah. So that's why they were keen to pressure Lewis to, to pit earlier. Um, well, what about Lewis's teammate then? Because Valtteri Bottas, again, he was hampered by another engine issue uh, and had uh, given a penalty on, on the grid. Um, but he couldn't really get out of those positions. Um, and he did he perform great or, or is he just kind of seeing the season out? Yeah, I'd, it'd be easy to turn around and say Valtteri just blows hot and cold sometimes. It, it really would be. But, you know, you, you're not always aware of some of the gremlins that are going on inside the car or what the problems are. But... But, you know, I do sometimes feel... You, Valtteri, I was a fan of Valtteri's when he was in Formula 3. You know, he, he, he rode a couple of times for Double R Racing. Um, Power Mine mm. runs there. And he would always bark about exactly how great Valtteri is. And, and I thought that as well. Um, so, you know, there's... And we've seen how, how close Valtteri has run Lewis in qualifying apart from beating him as many times as he had, how close he's run him so many times. So he's got mega amounts of speed in him. It's just that sometimes, sometimes you just yeah. don't have this image of Valtteri as being the biggest fighter on the block, do you? Somebody who's going to make the impossible overtake happen. Somebody who's going to side through the field. He's done it a couple no. of times, but it's not, it's not the image that you normally associate with Valtteri. So, you know... Maybe there is a little bit of okay, you know, I haven't got long to go now, and I'm going to join Alpha, and hopefully it's going to go better, you know. But that's—I don't mean to disrespect him because again, he's a brilliant <laughs> racing driver. But but mm. sometimes maybe he's just not no. punchy enough. Coops, what what were your thoughts on uh, Perez's uh, race? It was probably the best he could have done. Uh, I mean, he had no drinks bottle from lap one. It was un unbelievably hot at Texas. And I think he said at the end that he'd woke up not feeling 100%. Uh, and by lap 20, he was suffering for weakness in the legs, suffering for weakness in the hands. Uh, his eyes were starting to get a bit scary. And then he still had a whole half, half a race to go. And he, he still managed to get it in third. 
I mean, the guy looked dead when you saw him when he came out of the car, just standing there sucking in a can of Red Bull. Uh, so, I mean, Perez to, in that race did, has done exactly mm-hmm. what he's supposed to be doing the whole year. Uh, and it is a difficult car to drive because it is designed around Max Verstappen. Uh, there's no illusions. Uh, but he's, he did what he needed to do. And Perry's touched on it as well with the kind of, he was playing the team game. He got ahead of Verstappen at the start, realised, oh, I shouldn't be here. Backed it off exactly when he needed to back it off. He was then used by Red Bull just to kind of cover off Hamilton by getting him onto the, the yellow kind of medium tyres for the, mid, the the second stint. And that was all mm. done strategically. So he, he played his part exactly where he needed to go. If you move over to Bottas, then as I put in the chat, let's watch Bottas go nowhere because for some reason Bottas just cannot, even when he, even before, he just cannot seem to work himself right mm. when he's in traffic. He has no oomph. He gets to a point, he might pass a few cars, you know, if it's if he's stuck behind the Williams and Alpha or even God mm. forbid the Haas, he gets past them relatively easily. And then he just kind of stalls. And it's a bit kind of like, is he just there? It was like Sochi before the rain came. He was just there, just cruising around, doing his thing. The rain came, fired him up the, the finishing position. And I, I can't remember where he finished. But I, it wasn't, I wasn't over, it wasn't overly exciting. It was just, oh, there he is. Uh, so I don't know what it is about Bottas in terms of that. Uh, when he's in the midfield, it's not like a Hamilton-esque cutting through the field, diving up. The next thing there's Hamilton in third mm. than he was 12, two laps ago. So yeah, I wasn't surprised that he, he, he can have finished behind Perez. Uh, where, where, where did he finish? Anyway. Sixth. But, the KF is uh, sixth, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's always a bit disappointing because Bottas should be doing a lot better. Uh, I was too busy focusing on the front two to really pay attention to Bottas. So I can't, I, I can't, I, I, uh, if you're wanting any kind of in-depth technical not, uh, analysis of why you get stuck in traffic, mm. you're not going to get it from me because I can't actually remember. So Tom, Perry alluded earlier to the kind of radio talk between Alonso and uh, the Alpine team and, and, and to the radio to Massey. There's a bit of a what could, well, what can I say about it? Really, it was a bit embarrassing for the for the whole the back and forth. It was great to listen to uh, as a fan because you got to see the whole conversation. So, are we allowed to overtake off the track? And they're like, "No, we're not allowed to overtake." But I stand by it here. When Alonso went, "Aha, yes!" when he uh, overtook Giovinazzi, I, I I stand by that he did that all for show because he was basically taking the Mickey out of the fact that that Raikkonen overtook him earlier off the track. So it was kind of it was a sarcastic ah yes rather than yeah I'm really proud of that overtake. Yeah and if you need any driver on the grid to give a sarcastic team radio response you can count on it being Alonso can't you let's let's be fair. Also I I, I said on Sunday um only Alonso would complain about a driver passing him off the track who we'd force wide and then himself pass the driver off the track. It's just, you know, it's, it's, you know old, old habits die hard with, with, with Alonso. It's just, yeah, he just exudes this kind of arrogance. And this is why some people love him and some people hate him. But the you mentioned about the messages between Alpine and the FIA radio. Um, I was, M- Michael Massey is just, he's not Michael Massey, he's Michael Sassy these days. Because, because so, 
because some of the like some of the responses he comes out with, and I I can kind of understand why he gets irritated because he probably gets it in the because to do that again. So I started to interrupt myself. Michael Massey probably gets it in the ear every single race. You know, it's only this year that we've seen the FIA team radio. I think we first saw it about Spain or somewhere. And now we see it crop up every now and again. But if you think about all the years previous when he's probably had the likes of um, Christian Horner, Total Wolf, you know, Frederick Lasseur, any team principal blabbering in his ear about the smallest of infractions. Um, and the Alpine one, they were they were basically it, it was it was like that friends meme where where you've got the girl trying to get Joey to say something, and then and then Alpine are just like, oh, so he can pass off the track. It's uh, yeah, they, they just uh, I don't even know what to say about it. It's just it 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 was comical entertainment and typical Alonso. Did, yes, yeah, it, it was very typical Alonso. Um, and it, I just thought it was quite funny. It was, it was absolutely, it was, it was funny to watch. Quite, quite embarrassing for, I think, for the FIA uh, in terms of they, they, they were kind of forced to act because of it um, uh, and get obviously uh, people to to relinquish their places. Let's move on then. Uh, were there any other drivers that you were uh, that you were impressed by over the weekend? Then Perry, I'm, I'm generally impressed with with most of them, to be quite frank. You know. Um... There's a few I've got a couple of question marks over. There's a few that are a little bit more up and down than the others. But uh, but I think the track is fantastic, you know. Uh, I really do. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of uh, – we saw some real teamwork come into play, uh, only rightly so, actually, where Sergio generously came out of the throttle uh, on about um, – was it corner two, corner three? Yeah. Uh, just after the start, because Max went wide, or pardon me, Lewis let him go out there. Yeah. And they've come back in. But then Lewis has closed Max off. So, of course, Max has lost momentum. Well, well, uh, Sergio's coming around the outside. So, Sergio's got momentum. Mm. But then there's a left-hander. And so, to not compromise Max, Sergio's come out the throttle to allow Max full blast to stay in touch. That was cute thinking by Sergio. Very generous as well. You know, he was he was thinking at those speeds to just go, wow, let Max back through here and didn't lose too much time himself. So that's how teams really should be working together once somebody is dominant and after the World Championship. But that was that was pretty good. As I said before, big fan of Sergio's. Um, but I think that even acknowledging how great Sergio is, once again, it, and same thing can be said with Valtteri, how quick and how great Valtteri is to see both of them consistently really decked mm. by their teammates shows the level of brilliance of Max and Lewis. And that's something that as fans, as spectators, we hopefully should be jointly re- re- uh, rejoicing in to see this is a real great championship battle between two mega drivers, and it's, it's a real pleasure to watch it. Coots, who, who impressed you over the weekend? Oh, Vettel did quite well to get into the point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was at the back of the grid. Did he start 20th? I can't remember. Because uh, there was three or four that ended up with the uh, grid penalties. But, yeah, he got himself in that. I mean, it wasn't... I wouldn't say it was the drive of the day. He did what he should have done. Mm. I mean, he was passing the Williams cars, uh, the Alfa Romeos, and uh, the Hasses. Uh, 
and we all know how hard that is to pass them. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, Neveto did exactly what he did. Stroll and Latifi's race get ruined by the first corner kind of bump. Not really Emdy's fault. First lap, got a bit of a sandwich, bumped into each other. Mm. Uh, luckily, we were able to finish. I was quite, uh, I was quite disappointed with the Alpine. Uh, both of them ended up retiring uh, after Alonso put his show on. Uh, but going back to your talk about the FIA thing, was it just me or when you heard Michael Massey, could you just imagine him sitting in his chair with his eyes shut, with his, rubbing his forehead while he was talking to that person? <laughs> just, oh, give me strength. Are you serious? Uh, yeah, so, I can say that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that FIA radio, when whoever decided to bring that in deserves a pat on the back and a round of applause. I mean, that, uh, that was, that's a stroke of genius. It's uh, great you know, getting we all know that. Yeah. It's, we all know that they're not going to be able to do them all. Uh, but, yeah, uh, it's good. Tom, who who do you want to speak about that we haven't spoken about today? I was really impressed with Daniel Ricciardo this weekend. He had a really, really solid qualifying um, and he had a decent race result. He had some really good on-track battles, clean battles, um, but just, just did really well this weekend. And he comprehensively beat Lando all weekend as well, which isn't something I thought I'd be saying when we go back to about the Russian Grand Prix. Um, but Danny Rick is really, really sort of picked up. Like Perry said, and, and like we've all said, we know how much he loves Texas and maybe that helps. But um, but yeah, he, he did really well this weekend. Okay, well, I, I, I'm going to just read the race results out um, to show you uh, where all your favourite drivers may or may not have been. Um, and who DNF'd and whatnot. So Max Verstappen was obviously first with that race win. Lewis Hamilton second, Sergio Perez third. We had Charles Leclerc, Daniel Ricciardo, Valtteri Bottas, Carlos Sainz, Lando Norris, Yuki Tsunoda and Sebastian Vettel rounding out the top 10. And then Antonio Giovinazzi just outside the points in 11th. Lance Stroll 12th, Kimi Raikkonen 13th, 14th was George Russell. Nicholas Latifi was 15th. Mick Schumacher was 16th. And as per usual, Nikita Mazepin was the final finisher uh, in 17th. Um, and three team, three cars retired. Uh, the retirements were Fernando Alonso, Esteban Ocon and Pierre Gasly. And it was just, I just want to say this was an absolutely brilliant race for me. I really enjoyed it. I really kind of felt the anticipation as the week was coming uh, as the weekend was uh, arriving uh, on our on our doorsteps, uh, and I was just really excited. The qualifying was great, uh, and the race just just did not disappoint. I really finally feel that F one has cracked America. Do you agree, Tom? Absolutely. You know, we had four hundred thousand people in attendance over the course of the weekend, and we had one hundred fifty thousand, I think it was, on race day alone. If that's not cracking America, I don't know what is. If you listen to the cheers when Verstappen was going around, and obviously Perez had a huge supporters sort of network with him, I'm really looking forward to the Mexican Grand Prix. You know, if, if he finishes on the podium, the place is the place is going to erupt. But but even so, Akota, just the sort of whole atmosphere, the, the the place was absolutely buzzing. It was like there was an electricity in the air around it. And when we had Hamilton and Verstappen lining up at the start, I was so nervous. As a Verstappen fan, I was sitting there, I was so nervous. And I was tense for the whole race. 
but it was a fantastic weekend. I love Austin as a city and coach is a fantastic facility anyway. And yeah, it's just, it really feels like F1 is in America proper. Have you got anything to add about that, Coops? I just think that was a really good segue to the article that is available on www.everythingfun.com. <laughs> oh, written by written by someone. myself today, which dropped yes. today. So head over to our website and read what I had to say about that. I used a lot of super- superlatives because I was just so impressed with it. Yeah, I mean, to 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 just to my opinion, there. Yeah, they're right. I mean. I mean, it's not got the same numbers as Indy 500, but then not a lot has because uh, of that kind of infrastructure and that is more kind of, that's their monocle. But in terms of Formula One, yeah, we're no longer racing in a car park in, you know, Las Vegas or, or anything like that. You know, we've got a home. It's a circuit that's amazing. One of those rare Tilka numbers that actually work. Uh, and it, it's Texas. I mean, I mean, Texas is to America what America is to the whole of the rest of the world. They just do everything bigger. Well, look at Shaq on the podium. That <laughs> uh, is brilliant. That's meme-worthy for the next 20-odd years. It's amazing. Uh, can, can we all set a petition to have Yuki Tsunoda stand next to Shaq, please? Just, yes, uh, that would be genius. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if, if this doesn't put Formula One in the map in America... As the article says, and as we all can agree, I don't know what will. Absolutely. That's a great way to finish our review uh, of the Circuit of the Americas Grand Prix. Okay, you were going to say something about tyres. I'm going to give you that reminder now. What what were you going to say about tyres? I was thinking about how Max was so great in managing the tyres at the last point. I was thinking about Lewis having to bring his tyres in to then get the maximum speed to then close on Max. I'm thinking about how other people... I must admit, I'm kind of a little bit done with tyres, to be quite frank. I I really am, you know, because I, I don't really remember it being a factor like this 20-odd years ago, uh, you know, or maybe 25 years ago. So, and, and I just kind of think, then I was thinking, okay, what if we got Pirelli to just build a set of tyres which just didn't go off, okay? So, I'll ask you the question because I know. What happens if you do that? No pit stops, yeah. Okay, because you're not going to be coming in for refueling. So, if that were to happen, we've taken pit stops out, which is a major factor of how the teams perform is a bit of an engagement for us there's a bit of strategy and everything else mm. so just park that one for a second but if we had a set of tires that didn't degrade if there was some kind of performance where they pretty much pretty much stayed how they could or where there's going to be no advantage in coming in for another set you know because everything's going to go off a bit yeah so maybe they could just go flat out Maybe we wouldn't have to see all this management, expectation, computer strategy regarding tyres, etc. Because I personally would prefer it to just see everybody with their what's-its wrapped around their neck going for it every corner of every lap mm. rather than who's doing what to manage tyres. Because, again, I'm a spectator. I'm a race fan. I want to see sheer hell let loose <laughs> every lap. Yes. That's what I want. So what could we do? to make sure there's still pit stops to bring them in. But, of course, no refueling, but they can't change tyres. And I was just wondering 
you know, maybe they have to answer two questions on Twitter <laughs> or something before they go back out. No, it's, uh, I, I was just kind of wondering what could be done. They've got to stay still for five seconds or something, right. you know? Um, but does that work? Is that too artificial? Mm. It may be a dumb suggestion. But even if tyres <laughs> even if tires don't go off, um, a fresher set of tyres is still going to be better, isn't it? So there could be the, the exact same compound that, that they take off and put on, um, but the fresher tyre, even though it doesn't go off, you know, like you're saying, you know, after 20 laps, 40 laps or whatever, there will still be a benefit to a brand new tyre over a used tyre, wouldn't there? Yeah, I know. But look, if there's a, if there's a, like, you know, I'm, I'm not a tyre engineer, <laughs> but they can make a tyre mm. that doesn't have the same performance deflection from being new to being worn. Okay. So if you've got something that's going to change uh, lap time characteristics by 0.3 of a second after 30 laps, you're not going to come in and change them. You see what I mean? Yeah. You know, so it's it's just something that I wonder if F1 might want to look at, you know, and I'm sure after listening to this, they'll be straight on the regulations and make changes <laughs> saying, Harry's got it in one, that's That's it. what we're going to do. So I do, I do kind of think, is there something that's fairly cute where we could still have a pit stop, mm. where there is some, where there's some value to us as spectators, some value to see how the teams work, because they would still have to choose when to take that pit stop. Mm. Or do we force them to say, but I'm, I'm going into a world of make-believe here. My point is, I'm kind of getting slightly bored with managing tyres. Mm. You know? I know what you mean. I would love to see a way around it. What could be done to do that? Your, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> no, I just gave given everybody the yeah, answer. Well, that's it, that's it. Now we're just going to talk about any news articles that might have popped up over the last couple of days. Coops, have you got anything you want to speak about? Yes, I just noticed while we're on the podcast, the Miami Grand Prix tickets for next season have been released. Yes, and their price tags <laughs> are astronomical. The cheapest for a three-day pass at the Miami Grand Prix, wait for it, people, $950 each. <laughs> that is the cheapest price. Now, if you're wanting just the standard fan to come and check out a Grand Prix, or someone who's curious about Formula One isn't a hundred percent sure. I mean, I mean, a couple—that's two grand yeah. before you've even got your merchandise in. Before you've paid your fifty-five quid for a sandwich or whatever it's probably <laughs> going to cost you. Uh, I mean, that—that that is absolutely ridiculous. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, we might moan about the prices of Silverstone, but when you look at that. That you know, Formula One need to take a long hard look at that because that's just shocking. It, it does make it a hell of a lot more expensive, and it, and just think about the flying away fans that that are from different countries that want to go and see that. Uh, they're also paying for you know massive flight costs as well. It's just, I mean, it's crazy. I've I've just flipped forward to the most expensive. Now, I don't actually know what you get for this, but it's five grand each for the most expensive ticket. Uh, I, I can't even see. It would tell me what what it. Uh, what we're getting uh, for five grand a pop. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's that that's disgusting in my eyes. Um, I'm sure I'm quite um I'm disgusted by nine hundred and fifty dollars for a for a Formula One. Now I for a Formula One ticket. I've been a fan of Formula One since nineteen ninety something. I've watched Ernst Senna race. I love the sport dearly. I wouldn't do this if I didn't. I would not spend one thousand pounds to go to a Grand Prix. I just wouldn't. 
it's just I couldn't justify that. It just seems like the second they get, you know, this buzz about F1, they they uh, in America and they and they they what they're doing what we said with they've cracked America. They're doing one thing that's going to maybe put people off and and any kind of na- no, kind of casual fan. That, that might because they might only be casual fans at the moment uh, in America. There might be diehard fans. I'm not tiring the whole uh, nation with you know that brush. Um, but any of the casual fans that might think, oh, you know, I'll pop along to the next one, that's going to completely, you know, put them off uh, looking at those sort of prices. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, and to look at it from another perspective, you've got all sorts of sports, motorsport in the world. You've got your touring cars. You've got your other single seaters, IndyCar. I don't know the prices of IndyCar, but if you put it in perspective over here. I was looking at going to watch the uh, British touring cars, which is a kind of, uh, well, the British touring cars off. It's in the title. Uh, <laughs> I, I had a quick look at the three days, uh, you know, f- it's four day camping, Friday to Monday. Mm. You get, and it's it's £85. That's not bad and at that's, all. That's 15 races over two days with all the support club. You get three uh, British touring car races, the access to the paddock is well, is well open, merchandise and camping. Uh, and then you look at that, and as you've touched on, uh, that's one way to alienate, to alienate fans, especially in a market you've been trying to break for such a long time. You finally got it. You can you can run on the coattails of such a great event we've had this weekend, uh, and boom, $1,000 a ticket, which in this day and age isn't that much different than whatever country you come from the you know the the kind of exchange rates are generally more or less the same mm. uh, some countries it might be even more i mean that's a lot of money uh even now because it's it's only we're only talking a year i think is it not is it like october next year uh so it's you know and then uh, in your travel costs where you're staying that's just the price to get into the place let alone anything else yeah it's crazy prices uh, crazy crazy it's prices. just this yeah Wonderful. Okay, well, we've got our guest here. Do you want to promote your book before you go? Best book the world has ever seen, clearly. uh, Fantastic, incredibly funny, touching, moving, inspirational, uh, big look behind the scenes. Anyway, all that to one side. Hope you enjoy it. It's available on allsound.com. It's flat out, flat broke. It's my autobiography, which has been out there for quite a while. Uh, It's gone really well. But now it's audio book. So uh, I even do engine noises. <laughs> <laughs> and I've started to listen to it, and it is a brilliant book. So uh, oh. every one of our listeners should head over to Sound and pick up a copy or uh, a digital copy for their earlobes uh, as they commute to their work. Thanks very much for coming to speak to us today anyway, Perry. Tom, Coops, James, thanks so much for having me on. We'll, we'll do it again another time. Thanks. Bye, chaps. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. We have been Everything F1. We are on their website www.everythingf1.com you can find us on all social media platforms facebook twitter instagram and youtube all at the handle at join ef1 and of course you could also listen to us on our podcast that you're listening to us right now hit the subscribe button and you can get all of our latest podcasts in your ears as soon as they drop all that's left for me to say is thank you very much for coming to speak to me today coops thank you thank you thank you very much tom for coming to speak to me today pleasure as always and thank you to everyone listening today. We will speak to you next week where we're going to be previewing the Mexican Grand Prix. We will see you there. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.